Cowboy. Cowboy. Welcome in to another episode of the Chef's Table Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 3. In this episode, we're going to focus in on one of my favorite, absolutely favorite, fall-wintertime dishes, and that is chili, also known as a bowl of red. Very excited for this podcast and to share my thoughts on a bowl of red. But before we do that, let's pay a few bills. So, just cracked open one of my favorite beers recently. This is called the Mind Haze IPA. It's made by Firestone Walker. Uh, It's one of the beers I've been drinking a lot lately. I really enjoy it. And so, I'll be sipping this beer as we uh, go throughout the podcast. If you guys haven't tried it, I definitely, if you like beer at all, especially if you're into IPAs, I would definitely suggest uh, trying out this uh, Firestone Walker Mind Haze. I really, really enjoy it. It's a great sipping beer. ABV is a little bit higher, uh, so you're going to be feeling good after a few of them. Probably how I'll be feeling by the end of this podcast. So, All right, all right. So, yeah, this podcast is all about a bowl of red or chili. And as I had mentioned it's truly one of my favorite dishes when the weather is cold. Uh, you know, it's uh, you, you work outside or you're outside all day and you come inside and, you, you know, you've been out in the snow, you've been out in the cold weather and uh, you just have this hot bowl of comfort food waiting for you. And it just, uh, once you're eating it, it warms you up through the inside and it just kind of puts an end to your day of uh, skiing, snowboarding, working outside, uh, whatever it is that you do. But it, you know, it just puts an end to the day and kind of gets your body into re- relaxation mode after that chili gets inside you. So um, I really enjoy chili, and uh, as you can see, I, I I love talking about it. I love uh, making it. Um, and it's just, uh, for me, it's, uh, this time of year, it, it, it brings out the passion of the comfort food. So anyways, yeah. So this podcast is all about chili, also known as a, uh, a bowl of red. So, you know, when you look at the history of chili, honestly, if you said it was anywhere else, but Texas, you would probably make the people who live in Texas quite upset. And we might even be able to trace it even closer to San Antonio, Texas. Okay, and for a lot of us, chili is ground beef and tomatoes and beans and spices and and that's a good bowl of chili. But if you really take a look at the history of it, if you look at what it was in the beginning, it was not that at all. It was not ground beef. There was no beans, maybe tomatoes. But it was pretty much meat and spices and fresh chilies and water. And they just cooked the hell out of it to make the meat edible. So, you know, if you, if you, if you really break down the roots of it, it, it depends on who you believe uh, and what you read. But, you know, you, there's, there's a lot of different stories out there. So, you know, one of them is um, 
there's a, a Native American legend, so we're really tracing back our roots here, as we should if we're in the United States, to the Native Americans. And uh, there's an old legend, um, Native American legend, that there was a uh, sister, Sister Mary from Spain, and she was actually one of the first people to write down the recipe for chili con carne, as uh, we know it today. And uh, basically, uh, Sister Mary... Uh, she was an interesting lady. Apparently, she was able to go into a trance and to be in Spain and in uh, what we now know as America at the same time. Um, there's a lot of history to it, but basically, uh, this is the 17th century, and basically, she was one of the first people to put down a recipe for chili, and at that time, she had called for probably what you were able to find in the area, and that would be venison or antelope. So that would be the meat, the onions you'd find in the wild, possibly tomatoes. And then, of course, you know, with the, when we look at the history of the Southwest, you know, chili peppers is definitely one of the indigenous ingredients from that region. So you've got the chili peppers. Excuse me. So it makes sense that that truly could have been the first recorded recipe for chili con corn. Now, if we go to uh, the year 1731, at that time, uh, you had King Philip V, who was reigning over Spain, and he was very worried about France taking over parts of the United States as we know it today, especially in the region around Louisiana. So, you know, if you look at the history of the United States, that port there where New Orleans is was a major, major uh, part of the history of America. Because if you controlled that port, you could use the, the um, Mississippi River uh, to go up and you could start to create uh, colonies along uh, that river. So... You know, when you kind of look at the history of uh, the Chile, we have this King Philip uh, V from Spain. He actually uh, asked people or basically ordered people to come on over to the United States and start to settle in the area of uh, Texas, San Antonio, that area. Uh, and because he was really worried about losing control to France of uh, the areas of the United States. So he sent over a bunch of people, uh, about 16 families. They came from over the came over from the Canary Islands and they settled in around, like I said, San Antonio area and they began to create a, a government, a civil government, which is really the first municipality in the Spanish province of Texas. And they made, according to historians, the women who did a lot of cooking uh, made a spicy Spanish stew, a stew, sorry, and that was uh, something that also could be considered something very similar to chili. Now, moving forward into 1850, uh, we have a Dallas millionaire and someone who loved chili, Everett de Gaulier, and he indicated that the first chili mix was concocted around 1850 by Texas Texan adventurers and cowboys as a staple for hard times when they traveled to and from California. So what they did was they would take dried beef, some fat, 
pepper, salt, and any chili peppers that they were able to find along the way. And basically they would pound these into a rectangle. And along the way, if they ran out of food, they were able to drop these rectangles, right, or bricks of chili into the water and they could have something substantial to help them get some, you know, substance along uh, the way. So they kind of called it brick chili, right, or chili bricks. And um, it's almost similar to if you've ever heard of pemmican, which was a Native American staple. They would, once again, they would take dried meat, pound it almost into a powder, add fat, maybe add berries. And it was something they could take with them as they traveled, you know, throughout wherever they were. Uh, something that wouldn't go bad, something they could keep with them, something they could maybe add in water and make some kind of a stew or a soup to give them some substance after a long day of uh, traveling. So there we go, 1850 could have been another possibility. And then if you just bring it forward another 10 years, uh, you can look at the Texas prison system. And they also feel that they were the creators of chili. So they created a version of gruel, right, or bread and water. Uh, Basically, they would take uh, tough beef that wasn't considered edible by anyone else. They would really chop it up or hack it up into really fine pieces. Obviously, the chilies and some spices were some things they probably had access to. And they basically would just cook the hell out of it to the point where it was something that was edible. And it actually became almost a status symbol of the Texas uh, prison system. And prisoners would actually rate the jails based on the quality that they would make uh, of these chilies that they would make. So it's pretty interesting when when you look at the history of chili. And I'm sure there's more stories out there, but those are the four that I found that are really related to chili. So what we're going to do is move forward into uh, a recipe that I like to make. Um, And I'm going to take a real quick sip here before I go any further. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about chili, the the way that I make it. Um, I am no expertise. Uh, I, you know, if I brought my chili recipe to Texas, um, they might not agree with it and that's okay you know that's a great thing about chili it's a great thing about cooking you know it's whatever makes you happy you know it doesn't have to be perfect um you know i'm not entering a competition here i'm just trying to feed my family i'm trying to make uh, everybody happy and so for me uh here's the recipe i have so i'm going to start off kind of not uh just talking a little bit about some of the ingredients that i use and i'm going to walk you through the process of how i do it so you know, if, uh, if there's snow on the ground where you're at um, and you crave a bowl of chili, you can certainly try mine. You can certainly go on the internet and find another recipe. Uh, it's really up to you, you know. It's one of those things that uh, everybody might have their own recipe. Uh, but either way, here we go. Uh, here's my recipe. So first of all, the meat is so, so, so important in this recipe. Okay, and you know if you if you go online and you type in chili, more often than not the the meat you're gonna see is ground beef, and there's nothing wrong with it. Use ground beef if that makes you happy. Uh, 
But if you are going to use ground beef, use one with a little bit more fat in it. Use a 80-20 mix or an 85-15 mix. And what I'm talking about is 85 beef and 15% fat. If you're going to make chili, don't worry about your cholesterol level. Don't worry about trying to lose a few pounds. You know, make something that makes you happy and don't worry so much about all that kind of stuff do what makes you happy and and go for the good stuff you know so if you're going to use ground beef go for a little bit higher fat now for me i always use uh chuck roast always i buy a whole piece of chuck roast you know uh obviously it's cut into two pound pieces three pound pieces whatever it is but i always use a chuck roast and i always dice it myself so for this recipe that I'm going to share with you, um, this will feed, oh, I would say between maybe three to five people. I'm going to use about a pound of chuck roast, okay? And when you go to buy it, there's all different sizes because uh, they're just basically taking the primal cut of, uh, you know, chuck and they're just chopping it into pieces because for them, they're making a lot of money off of it. They're probably paying hardly anything. Uh, for that primal cut and um, you know just go for it so get yourself a nice piece of chuck roast Um, you know you could uh, I mean if you want to do a a sirloin you could if you want to do a top round or bottom round I mean this is the great thing about this recipe is it's so wide open you can do whatever you want to do you can get a tougher piece of meat because we're going to be cooking it for a while so i'm gonna do one pound of chuck roast and i'll take that chuck roast and i'm gonna dice it up into small pieces and i try to take off as much of the fat as i can a little bit's okay you know because that fat's gonna melt down as you cook it uh and yeah so that's what we got we got a one pound of chuck roast we're gonna dice it small try to take off as uh, much fat as possible All right, now I got my chuck roast diced up, all right, into small pieces. And then from there, I want to dry the meat out. to move the cow forward and it was always from the shoulder and it was always from the 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 rear end of the cow right so the chuck is one of the fore end shoulder areas of the cow and it's one of the muscles that is used to move the cow forward so when i say that what i mean is that there is more connective tissue there's more fat it's a muscle that is used in order to keep the cow standing and keep the cow moving forward All right, so yes, it's going to be higher in fat and higher in connective tissue, but that's the beauty of it is the fact that once you break it down into small pieces and you cook it for a while in moisture, it breaks down into this amazing tender meat and the fat melts down and it gives you flavor. Um, So that's why I suggest that you use a little bit tougher piece of meat, right? It's so easy for people to come on podcasts and tell you to go get the, you know, the beef tenderloin and the the ribeye and and the New York strip and all those things that come from the the middle of the cow. 
that everybody knows and everybody knows how to cook it and you cook it to medium and it's perfect. But the chuck roast, it's not so easy. You know, it's a tough piece of meat. And if you don't do it right, it's not going to be enjoyable. So for this recipe, because we're cooking the heck out of it, get yourself a nice piece of tough piece of meat. In this case, I'm using chuck roast. So sorry to go on a tangent, but I just want you to you know, understand that it's okay to use tougher pieces of meat if you know what you're doing. So we got ourselves one pound of chuck roast. Okay, we take a little bit of the fat off of it. A little bit is okay because it's going to melt down. We're going to dice it into small pieces. Next thing I'm doing, I'm putting three tablespoons of flour on top of that chuck roast. Okay, the flour is there because I want to dry out the meat so that I can get a really nice sear on it when it comes to cooking it. Okay, now along with that, I want to put on flavoring. And this is where you, this is what separates the great chili from the wheat chili. And it's all about the seasoning and knowing how much to put on there. So for me, I'm just going to tell you everything I use. I'm going to tell you it's all one teaspoon and you can adjust and you can make adjustments as you feel comfortable with. All right, but for me, I'm going to use the following spices and they're all one teaspoon to make it easy. All right, so one teaspoon of cumin. This is ground cumin, all right, not whole cumin. One teaspoon of chili powder. A lot of you probably have that in your cabinet. One teaspoon of garlic powder. Okay, if you have garlic salt, you can use that and cut back on the salt somewhere else. Uh, One teaspoon of paprika. One teaspoon of coriander. If you don't have it, don't worry about it. I love coriander. Coriander grows into cilantro, right? If you plant the coriander seed, you end up with cilantro, a little bit of an orangish kind of flavor to it. If you don't have it, don't worry about it. If you have the whole seed, just grind it up a little bit. So one teaspoon of coriander. Then we have some salt. I always use kosher salt. And then one teaspoon of black pepper. All right. So I've got my flour and all those spices. I put it on top of my chuck roast that's diced nice and small. And then I toss it all together, right? I get that flour on there and I dry up my meat. And then I let it sit. Okay. Let it sit for a little bit. Let Let the flour do its thing. If you notice that you let it sit for half an hour and the meat is gummy, Add some more flour and toss it again, okay? You want to dry up that flour because we want to get it ready for the searing process. Excuse me while I take a sip. All right, so that's what I have going right there. Got my meat ready to go. I got the spices on it. All right, now next, what we're going to do is we have to sear that meat, so I'm going to walk you through the process. I'm going to tell you the ingredients because I think it makes more sense if I do it that way rather than just throw out all of the ingredients um, and you don't really understand how they come into play. So I'm just going to walk you through the, the actual recipe, how I do it, and um, you know you can just jot down the ingredients jot down the procedure later on um, whatever you need to do so um, so I got my meat I got it tossed with flour to dry it up and all my spices right and those spices there that I talked about that is one of the key ingredients the key parts of chili is is those spices as we talked about earlier all right so get yourself a nice pot 
I love, um, I have a Le Creuset pot. Not everybody has one, and I understand that, but I love my Le Creuset pot for this, right? Ceramic, uh, but you can use whatever you have. It really, you know, it really doesn't matter. But put your pot on top of the stove and get it hot, okay? Then you're going to put in anywhere from two to four ounces of, you can use oil, you can use butter, you could use a mix of both. You could do two ounces of each, right? So I generally do a little bit of butter and a little bit of oil. If you add the oil with the butter, it keeps the butter from burning. And I love the flavor of butter. I'm only using a little bit, so we're good, right? So got my oil butter mixture in there. And I'm going to let it get hot. Then I'm going to put my meat in. And you're going to want to do this in probably at least two batches. The idea here is we throw the meat in, in the hot oil and the butter, and we sear it, right? I want to see some crispiness to the meat. That flour's on there. It's going to help it crisp up really nice. Even if you only get one side of the meat nice and crispy, that is fine. But put the meat in there and let it sit and let let it do its thing. Okay, so the idea here is we sear the meat. While the meat is searing, we're going to dice up some flavoring. So I'm going to take a small onion. I'm going to dice that up small. I'm going to take about four cloves of garlic. You can mince them. You can shave them like they do in Goodfellas, however you want to do it. And then I add in a pepper. So I happen to have an orange pepper in my fridge. I took that pepper out. I diced it up small. If you have a red pepper, a green pepper, a poblano pepper, whatever you have, I like to add in a pepper in there. You don't have to do that. Have yourself ready also two tablespoons of tomato paste and get yourself a little can of chipotle pepper in adobo sauce. Find it anywhere in any grocery store. It's a small little can. Open it up. Put your peppers on the table, on the cutting board, and chop them up a little bit. Keep that adobo sauce that they come in, okay? You can use a half a can if you don't like it so spicy. You can use the whole can if you like a little more kick in your uh, chili. Okay, so have that ready. Now, the meat, we seared the first batch. We take it out. Right, and then we'll add in the second batch of meat. If you have to, add a little more oil and butter in. If you notice that the first batch absorbed a lot of it, it's it's fine. You're gonna see some pieces on the bottom a little bit, and that's a good thing. Uh, but we're, 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 our main focus in the beginning is to sear the meat. Okay, and you're going to hear me talk about this, but we're building layers right now. And our first layer is getting that meat seared, getting the Maillard reaction, getting that caramelization on the outside of the meat. It is so important in this recipe. Okay, so we're going to sear off all the meat we have. Now, that second batch that is in there of meat, after you get a good sear on, the, on one side, you can stir it up a little bit. Get your tomato paste in there, all right? About two tablespoons of tomato paste and stir it in really, really good. Get it covered really good over the meat. The thing with tomato paste, it's such a great product. It's so condensed. 
there's hardly any moisture in there. It's such a great flavor. But where a lot of people go wrong with tomato paste is they don't cook it out. You have to cook the tomato paste out a little bit and get that raw flavor out of it. Okay, so get your tomato paste all over the meat, stir it up, and let it cook for a few minutes in your pot. It's so important. It really, really is. It's the same thing with flour, right? You shouldn't, you really don't want to put just raw flour in something. You want to cook the flour a little bit if you're making a sauce or whatever it is. So just get that tomato paste in there. Let it cook for a couple minutes. Uh, if you notice that the bottom of your pot is getting a little uh, too dark, add just a little pinch of water in there to bring it up off the bottom. But you really, you want to create that fond, F-O-N-D. You want to create that fond on the bottom of your pot because once again, we're creating layers here, okay? So our tomato paste is uh, in there. We've cooked it out. Next, our chipotle peppers go in. Just uh, put it in there. Get all the meat back in the pot. We've got our tomato paste, all the meat, our chipotle pepper, and adobo. So if there's sauce left in the can, put a little water in there, dump it in, right? And just let it and just mix it all up. We're creating layers. Okay, so we got our meat, our tomato paste, our chipotle pepper is in there. Now we're going to use the technique of deglazing. So on the bottom of your pan, you're going to notice some dark spots. Some of the flour has cooked to the bottom. Maybe the tomato paste is cooked to the bottom. And we got to bring that up. The fond, F-O-N-D, fond. We're going to add in one can of beer. So you don't have to do the beer. You could do wine. If you don't like alcohol, you could add in uh, water. You could add in uh, beef broth you could add in chicken broth uh what you know a liquid is what's important here get that liquid in there and start to move everything around and scrape up all that good fond off of the bottom all right so we got our beer in there and and we're gonna let that reduce just a little bit so i'm putting in 12 ounces of beer let it reduce down to about six ounces Okay, uh, if you add in wine, if you like a red wine with it, that's fine too. Add in your red wine, let it reduce down a little bit. If you add in water, let it reduce down a little bit. Let it do its thing, let it get all the stuff off the bottom. And then I'm going to add in uh, a little bit more of a liquid. In this case, uh, for me, I've done a can of beer, I've let it reduce down. I'm going to also add in some beef broth. Okay, so. If you want, you know, you don't have beef broth, uh, you can add in water with a little bouillon cube, a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Um, if you have uh, some chicken flavoring, whatever, you know, whatever, just you want to get some, uh, a little bit more flavoring in there. But the main idea here is the liquid. And the liquid is important because that's what brings up all that great fond off the bottom. All right, so the liquids are in. We've let them reduce a little bit. Next, we're going to bring in the tomatoes, okay? So, you know, I know this is a touchy subject. You go to Texas, they might not put tomatoes in it, and I understand that, and I respect it. Uh, but for me, I think tomatoes are a good thing. They're acidic. Uh, they help to break down the meat slightly. Uh, so for me, I'm adding in a can of crushed tomatoes. And, uh, you know, you can buy, I think, Think they're 28 ounces, but you know, whatever between 24 and 30 ounces of crushed tomato is fine. 
If you don't have crushed tomato and you have whole peeled tomato, you can take those tomatoes and you can chop them up or you crush them with your hand. If you have diced tomatoes, that will work just fine. You know, it really doesn't matter, but get that tomato flavor in there and that acidity in there. Uh, that all goes in. All right, and then for me, I'm always gonna add in chili sauce. Once again, if I go to Texas, hey, they might not agree with me, but I'm always gonna add in chili sauce. So you can buy chili sauce. Uh, usually in the grocery store, it's in the condiment section. It may be by the ketchup. Uh, the one I get is almost always made from Heinz. They sell, I think it's a 16 ounce jar. In this recipe, I'm using only eight ounces. But if you like a little bit more of the chili sauce flavor, add the whole thing or three quarters, whatever. You probably don't want to have a little bit left behind. Uh, or maybe you make the recipe and you double it. And that's it. That's all the ingredients, right? And everything goes in. I put the cover on. I turn the heat down. Okay. And I just let it do its thing. I let it cook. Now for me, because I'm using chuck roast, I got to let it go for a good half an hour to an hour at least. Preferably an hour is the, is the best uh, because that meat needs time over heat and some acidity to break down the fat and the connective tissue uh, and make the meat palatable. And, you know, when you look at the history of chili, that's what it's all about, right? We're not using filet mignon. We're not using ribeye. We're not using strip loin. We're using a piece of meat that is tough and it takes time, right, you know, to in order for it to break down. So give it some time. This is not something you can make and serve in five minutes. It takes time. So put the cover on, turn the heat down to very, very low, and just let it let the chili do its thing. Let it let the, the fat and the connective tissue break down. Let the tough meat break down and just let it cook. Okay, now here's the thing, right? You want to check your seasonings along the way. You want to taste it. I taste my chili probably every 15 or 20 minutes and see where it's at. I got a small little spoon. I keep it next to the chili. I taste it. Um, and as it reduces down, the liquids are going to go away, right? And so the chili is going to thicken, but you have to stir it. Now, if you notice that after an hour, it's really, really soupy, take the cover off and just let it reduce a little while longer. Okay, we shouldn't, you should never have to add in a roux or a cornstarch slurry or any of that kind of stuff. Nothing should be added in. You just have to let it do its thing. Let it cook down. So take the cover off if you need and just kind of let it do its thing. Now, while the chili is cooking, you have to make a decision about what you want to serve with it. And once again, if you go to Texas, they're going to probably serve a bowl of red just like it is. Okay. And I respect that. But for me, I almost always want to have something with it. So it may be a bowl uh, maybe a half a bowl of white rice. But for me, I'm, I'm a cornbread guy. I love a good cornbread, a jalapeno cheddar cornbread cut into a small piece. I put that on the bottom of the bowl and then I cover it with the chili, right? And then for me, I love a good raw onion and some cheddar cheese on the top. If you don't like raw onion, you could do um, uh, green onion, right? A scallion chopped up. If you, if you want that little bite of freshness, 
Uh, and I love the cheddar cheese. A lot of people like sour cream with it. I'm not a fan, but you know, I know a lot of people do like a little bit of sour cream on there as well. You know, it's really up to you. It's what your what your soul desires. You know, so um, it's up to you. Um, I love a good jalapeno cheddar cornbread, uh, and I maybe have to make make another podcast for that because I'm more than a half an hour in here. But just remember, if you decide to do cornbread, you got to do it in a cast iron skillet if you have it, right? Get the cast iron skillet hot in the oven, make your cornbread mixture, pour it into the hot skillet, put it back in the oven and let it cook. Okay. Um, so yeah, so that's it. I mean, you know, that, that's what chili is all about. Like I said, it fills your belly and it feeds your soul on a cold, winter's day after you've been working outside or you went for a long run or whatever it is but you get home and you got that bowl of chili and it just fills your belly and your soul and you know it it puts an end to the day and you can go and you can relax and probably get a good night's sleep now uh i i know that some of my listeners do not care for meat and i respect that so there's always vegetarian options so when you think about chili right if we take the meat out and if we take the beef broth out there's a lot of options that we have so we could take the meat out and we can replace it with so many different things so you could simply just chop up vegetables any vegetables that you like you could use tofu there's even plant-based ground beef Right, but honestly, if I'm doing this, I'm going to take a hearty mushroom because that's going to be a great replacement. A portabella, you know, take off the skin, uh, take off the, the gills on the bottom and dice it up into pieces. And honestly, you cook that down with the same recipe that I gave you, just replace the portabella with the chuck roast, it's going to be pretty damn close, to be honest with you. And then obviously, you can take out the butter in the beginning and just use straight oil. And then obviously, you can take out the beef broth and use a veggie stock. Or you could just even use water and just add a little bit more of the spices in there. So uh, that's a great option. And then there's even an option for uh, lentil chili, which I've made plenty of times in the past. And that's basically where you're going to use lentils in place of uh, the, the meat. And you can still add the beans in, uh, whatever you want to do, all right? And if you notice, when I talked about my chili, I did not add any beans in. But the beans are definitely something you could add in there. They're healthy. They give you substance in your chili. Uh, There's a lot of great things about beans. And once again, it's really up to you. You know, if you buy canned beans... Your kidney beans, your uh, white navy beans, your black beans. If you buy them already cooked in the can, just remember, put them in something where you can rinse them really, really well. Get all that brine off of there, okay? It's really salty. It's very high sodium. It, you know, you It's got a different flavor. Get all that off of there, and then you add those beans in basically right near the end like about maybe 15 minutes before you want to serve it because you just want to warm them up again okay um i'm not a big fan of cooking beans in chili if they're actually raw i don't it would take you way way too long to do that so your beans pretty much should be cooked ahead of time 
um, that if you're going to add the beans in. Okay, I generally, when I do it, I generally don't, but if you're going to add the beans in, just make sure, like I said, buy them cooked. It'll make your life so much easier and rinse the hell out of them. Get all the brine off of there. Let them sit for a little bit. Pop them in for the last 15 minutes and you should be good to go. All right, so um, I really appreciate you joining me today for uh, this podcast on one of my favorite, favorite, favorite winter fall dishes, chili. It's a, uh, it fills your belly, it fills your soul. Uh, you know, it's one of those comfort foods that can make the end of the day worth it for whatever you had to do before. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. As always, don't be afraid to uh, give me a shout out on Facebook or Instagram. Let me know how things are going or if you have any topics that you're interested in hearing about. I always, always, always love to hear from you guys. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm inspired by things you want to hear. So please let me know uh, what you'd like to hear about in the future. Other than that, thanks for joining the Chef's Table podcast and uh, enjoy that Mind Haze IPA if you guys uh, are so inclined to try it. Thanks for joining me.